Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Seaweed Brain, a Percy Jackson podcast. We previously asked the question, is Percibeth the greatest love story ever told? We decided yes, probably. And now we're killing time until the TV show drops. Today, we're getting back into the trials of Apollo and tackling the first half of book three, The Burning Maze, with a couple of very exciting guests. Stick around. Wow, that was such an enthusiastic intro, Carter. Bringing the energy tonight. Yeah. The emphasis on the trials of Apollo. The trials of Apollo. It's capitalized. I was reading. <laughs> well, Apollo, let's be real. Apollo was going through some trials tonight. Yeah. These are his first real trials of the series, dare I say? Truly. Well, welcome back, everyone. Um, those voices you heard are our two very exciting guests for today. We are welcoming back Caitlin, a.k.a. at Percibeth Feels Fandom, a.k.a. at Caitlin Reads A Lot. Hello, hello. It's always good to be back. Very excited. Thank you for being here. Um, and we're welcoming a brand new guest. It's Ethan. Everyone say hi to Ethan. Hello. Hey. Ethan, do you want to introduce yourself? Okay. Well, I am a Percy Jackson TikToker. Period. Yeah. Period. TikTok for Percy Jackson in the year of our Lord, 2022. (laughs) Yeah, you are. Yeah. My, is it handle or username? But it is Ethan with two N's, K-U. So that's where you can find me, I suppose. I literally cannot imagine a single Seaweed Brain listener not... Like, that's on TikTok, not following you on TikTok. Really? Because, like, as far as I'm concerned, you are the definitive voice of Percy Jackson TikTok. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> oh is God, there someone who makes like better high. TikToks than you? <laughs> no, I mean, okay, okay, okay. I hope none of my mutuals are listening, but <laughs> no. <laughs> so, Ethan, do you want to tell us about how you first started reading the books and also maybe any experience with Trials of Apollo that you want to share? Yeah, so I I think I actually read like The Lost Hero first. And then I was like, Whoa. wait a minute. Yeah, I know. No, no, no. Stick with me. Here. Wait, and don't you love Jason? Yeah, but that, okay, that makes okay. sense. That makes more sense. Because you no, didn't okay. know Percy before you got to know Jason. It's oh, this like, is gonna I be interesting. <laughs> no, I read The Lost Hero first, and then I got really confused because I knew that the book series was called the Percy Jackson series and so I was like why are there no characters named Percy so then I stopped (laughs) reading The Lost Hero and I found the first book to be fair though all of the people who like were in the fandom who even had read Percy Jackson first and read Lost Hero we were also looking for Percy so like (laughs) we were not alone (laughs) like we were all looking for for his name (laughs) Ethan is probably ranking among our youngest seaweed brain guests ever you might be the youngest besides Whoa. Samuel and Diego. The children, yeah. Half-Blood Report. Yeah, who I refer to as literal children, even though, <laughs> yeah. you know, almost going to graduate high school now. Oh, my God. Wow. Like, what, like 17, 18 now? Damn, wow. Aww. So you also are representing um, Gen Z tonight. So you've got a lot of pressure on you, Yay. just so you know. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. Erica, you're like two years older than me. You're making me feel so old. Were you born in 2001, Caitlin? Yeah, 2001. I'm so old. Oh, my God. No, Carter's <laughs> older. Than- Carter's the oldest. It's fine. <laughs> I feel so crusty. Woo. Ew. Let's not talk about how old we are anymore. <laughs> Please continue your anecdotes. <laughs> yeah okay okay all right due to popular demand i'll return <laughs> I'll, I'll continue. 
I read them in the correct order. I actually distinctly remember this, but I ordered the Blood of Olympus through like my school scholastic book fair thing. So I like literally got it fresh off the presses. <laughs> it was in my head. It was still warm. Literally. Trials of Apollo, I like don't think I read those until like maybe Tower of Nero came out. Oh yeah. Tower of Nero came out and I was like, oh shoot. I like completely forgot that those books existed. It was the year <laughs> I started the podcast. It was two years ago. Oh wow. Tower of Nero was two years by. ago. Yeah. I keep thinking it was last year, but it was actually two years ago, in October. Because that's actually Tower of Nero releasing is actually when I got back into or not even back into I was never really in the Percy Jackson fandom but that's when I joined like Tumblr the Percy Jackson Tumblr mm. community oh, I, I guess Tumblr, we're on Tumblr the Tumblr pipeline yeah yeah I get that. yeah Caitlin knows it well <laughs> Caitlin knows it well Caitlin's been around since like I I was in the fandom since I was 13 and I'm 21 now yeah I'm name dropping my age it's fine um <laughs> so like I've I've been around wow. <laughs> those are both such powerful internet presences this is so exciting we're like with internet Percy Jackson fandom royalty right now <laughs> Ethan who is your godly parent slash monstrous blah 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 affiliation <laughs> that you would like to share to identify yourself with I like self-identify with the goddess Hebe which is like the goddess of youth because I posted a TikTok like kind of early on in like my TikTok career and I was like assign me a god and so a lot of people were like Aphrodite or Apollo but then like if, like there was like one or two people that were like oh Hebe the goddess of youth and I was like okay I kind of like that a lot because I'm really afraid of getting older <laughs> 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 and being one of the youngest guests on CB Brain ever, I think we can grant you demigod status as a child of the goddess of youth. Okay. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> Validation. Validation. Yeah, exactly. It's all yours. <laughs> have it. Yes. That's fantastic. And, you know, I really think the only other question I have for you is this just popped in the old noggin. So crazy. Um, <laughs> do you think Persebeth is the greatest love story ever told? random well okay so <laughs> i myself oh i'm <laughs> everyone just leaned into the camera oh my god <laughs> I'm about to i have to choose my words so carefully now okay um i don't know how many of you guys are aware of volgrace i don't know if that's like a novel concept oh my <laughs> no no i've heard god that is because no, okay. okay i can i can like i can okay persebeth is one of the greatest love stories explain. of all time <laughs> i agree with that statement but me personally it i can't even go into it like i'm getting emotional <laughs> well honestly here's the thing for our listeners to know caitlin and ethan are going to be with us for two episodes in a row because we're doing Burning Maze in two halves. And frankly, I think that maybe we can give you the floor to talk about Valgrace like as much as you freaking want at the end of the book. So if you want to wait until then and kind of like warm up to it, you're welcome yes, to do that. If you don't feel yes. ready to speak your piece. Get to know each other. Yeah, so that you know you can trust us. Yeah, I'll like read the room first to figure out what our opinions are and then I'll like give mine. Carter is still shook and offended. Vol Grace? Wait, what? <laughs> okay, okay, I okay. literally don't even know if I process <laughs> what this is. No, no, no. <laughs> Quick rundown. So Vol Grace is Leo Valdez and Jason oh! No. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't going to ask you for a spelling or something because I was okay. completely lost. 
Ball like B A L G R A C E, like Valdez yes. and Gray. Have you ever seen that written out, Carter? I, you know, how do I say this? I have a curated um, internet <laughs> diet. You know, I <laughs> do not. No, I'm good not dietary restriction. Hearing from different perspectives and different voices, but I just do not um, do so. It's not that I cannot, it's <laughs> that I just choose not to. Um, and that's fair. <laughs> well, I'm here now. I can explain it to you. So it's great. <laughs> That's why we brought a resident expert in to educate us um, yes. when the time is right, when the time is right. Yeah, All right. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm both in pain and also excited to dive into the actual substance of our episode today. Sit back and relax as we summarize the first 23 chapters of The Burning Maze. If you've already read this book and you don't want to hear a summary, I guess you can skip the next four minutes or maybe stay. I don't know. It would be a fun time. We're going to probably not spoil anything beyond chapter 23, just in case you haven't read yet. But I'm assuming if you're here, you've probably read the entirety of the book or you don't mind us spoiling anything. So that is your warning. We open up on Grover, Meg, and Lester Polodopoulos navigating through the labyrinth to find Palm Springs. We're going to SoCal in this book. Grover is back in our trio. He's in his protector era. We love to see it. He's playing his magical flute, et cetera, et cetera. There's a new magical creature we meet. We're fighting off a horde of Strixes, which are like owl, humanoid, bird-type people. Very scary. Um, we narrowly escape into Southern California, where we are geographically anchored for most of this book. And we make our way to Grover's base, which is called... Eye Tales, the ruins of a once like beautiful greenhouse type home facility, which is in the middle of the desert of Palm Springs. Um, Meg is very uncomfortable to be here. And we later find out that it's because this was her childhood home. It was literally built by her father. She is like feeling a lot of complicated emotions, I'm sure, about being back. But naturally, she does not know how to articulate them. Um, so here we meet a bunch of anthropomorphized plants. They are all dryads. There's prickly pear, Joshua tree, aloe vera. We also very importantly reunite with Millie, the cloud nymph, and baby Chuck. They were supposed to be living with the McLean family though, right? We'll find out more about that later. So the nature spirits are really disturbed and this camp only exists because of the scorching heat and the wildfires that are raging through Southern California. More on that later. The first mini quest we have is to go and find Coach Hedge, who surprise, surprise, is um, at a military surplus store, which surprise, surprise, is actually owned and operated by a mini villain working for our <laughs> third big bad emperor. The manager, oh no, is revealed to be Navius Sartorius Macro, a praetor who used to serve the emperor, whose full name is revealed as being Gaius Julius Caesar Augustus Germanicus, ah, otherwise known as Caligula. So we have a little mini battle here at the Military Madness store with some automatons, um, some lore on why demigods never use guns keeps getting brought up here. We narrowly escape and we catch a glimpse of another villain in this book, which is a talking horse whose name I also don't know how to say. Incitatus? No, I think it's uh, Incitatus, I think is how they said it in the audiobook. That makes sense. The horse speaks English and not just like, hey boss, like my communication, like actually he's speaking English. It's very scary. We escape back to iTales. Apollo shares that their enemy, this big bad emperor is Caligula and Apollo, Meg and Grover decide to drive up to Malibu to fetch Piper and Jason, aka friends of Percy Jackson my boy. Uh, for backup <laughs> to re-enter the maze and find the Oracle who is trapped there. The Oracle that we are trying to free in this book is the Erythrian Sybil. Really don't know if I said that right. Do we? Erythrian? That was good. <laughs> Erythrian, yeah. Okay. The Erythrian Sybil. On the way up there, Meg shares some 
memories with Apollo about her childhood home, about these special seeds that her father was growing before they were basically forced out of their home by Triumvirate Holdings. When we get to Malibu, we find out that Triumvirate Holdings is also foreclosing the McLean property and has destroyed Tristan McLean's name. The fortune has been totally wiped out and they're being evicted off of their beachfront property in Malibu. It's very sad, but Piper seems to have accepted it and is at peace and ready to move back to Oklahoma with her dad and have a clean start. This is where we find out that Piper and Jason have broken up. What? What a shame. What? More on that. A twist of the century. Who saw it coming? Um, we head to an entrance into the maze that Piper previously used when scouting out with Jason. And then we have a big villain reprise. It's Medea. She's back. Turns out she's working for Caligula, who wants to suck the god essence out of Apollo so he can become the new son. Medea is wielding the final remnants of her great-grandpa, Helios to, or just grandpa, actually? Just grandpa. Wielding the final remnants of her grandpa, Helios's Titan sun essence to create the titular burning maze. There's a fight. There's lots of charm speak, lots of fire. Piper knocks out some people with her blowgun. And once again, we very narrowly escape. We're back at iTales to recover. We check back in with the prophecy for this book. And we decide that, A, we need to go and find Caligula's boots. B, we need to go find Caligula. And C, we need to go collect Jason, who supposedly has more info than Piper does because he went down scouting into the maze by himself and he found the Oracle who gave him more information. Very sketchy. So we go to Pasadena where Jason is at an all-boys boarding school. Curious. Apparently he left to go to that boarding school after he and Piper broke up. Oh my God, so awkward. Um, in his dorm, he shows them this little model he's been working on of the shrines to the gods that he wants to build on Temple Hill. And it's like made out of like Monopoly houses. Oh, mm. nerd. <laughs> Piper sort of pushes Jason to reveal what he's been holding back from her, this information that he got from the Sybil, from the Oracle in the maze. And this info is basically that the maze is a trap for Apollo. Apollo has to be the one to rescue the Sybil because if Jason and Piper go to find the emperor, one of them would, quote, three-letter word starts with D, die. When Piper and Meg leave to go charm speak Jason out of his afternoon physics lecture so he can head back to find Caligula, Jason also makes Apollo promise that if he is the one who, four-letter word starts with D, dies, Apollo <laughs> will carry out Jason's life's goal which is to build these temples at Camp Half-Blood and at New Rome, and that Apollo will remember what it feels like to be human. And from there, we head off to Santa Barbara to find Caligula, and that's what we'll be discussing today. Brilliant. I want to start off by saying that there is so much more that happens in this book than in the first two Trials of Apollo books, right? Yeah. 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 Definitely. There's a reason why this one's my favorite. The pacing has been picked up. There's so much going on. We obviously thought there was enough going on to split this into two solid episodes. So let's go around the circle and share our initial takes just in a couple sentences before we dive into some specific discussion points. Caitlin, do you want to start since you said it's your favorite book? Yes. Yeah, so I'm going to preface this by saying like this is my favorite book and like a big reason for it, as you said, was kind of like that pacing so basically any pacing I'm using quotation marks because you guys can't see me that we don't get in the first two books it makes up for it in this book essentially absolutely this is the book that changes literally everything we see development in characters primarily Apollo which makes this book as a whole more bearable 
more on that later i think we're all gonna kind of discuss that there's a lot more movement and plot and then because of that that means that there's higher stakes mm -hmm. and because of all of the development that we get you know like i personally was like growing more personal and stronger relationships with all of the characters and that was a big thing with the charles of apollo books was that i never got that connection mm -hmm. it's just a perfect middle book i completely agree yeah ethan I also agree with that completely because this book felt like a turning point for like many reasons. I feel like it started to become like more like serious and yeah, like plot development started happening. And like I was listening to this today and I was like, wow, I really can't like unfocus for like two seconds or I'm going to miss like <laughs> a million different things. Yes. But I, I, this may be like an unpopular opinion, but I really like, I don't really like Apollo as like a main character. And <laughs> I think that's a like, popular opinion. Okay. That's not unpopular. <laughs> I've like faced a lot of backlash on Tumblr for that. You're safe to say that here. Okay. okay. <laughs> In like the first two books, I don't know. He was just like so annoying. <laughs> just, yeah, absolutely. No, you're so safe to say that here. Yeah. Like the third book, I, there weren't many moments where I was like, we have like bigger things to worry about because <laughs> he was actually like, worrying about the correct things oh my god character development exactly we love to see it we love to read it we love to listen to it it's just so much easier to listen to we love to audiobook it yeah i have some thoughts on the audiobook narrator for the series but i don't even want to, I don't want to get into that right now um <laughs> carter i think i'm mostly on the same page as everybody else i enjoyed this substantially more than i did the previous two books and i had some context for the two big surprises that get dropped down sort of early in the book but even like with that i guess blunting the impact of these things the fact that we both find out that um, jason and piper have broken up and that one of them is going to die in this book is very important it frames the whole book it sets us up for totally different stakes types of storytelling the stakes are different but also like the structure of the book then like that falls the out from that is well. so different. Yeah. The tone is different. I think that the way that we've visited other characters in the past all has been like correct. You know, like I don't think I would have written a different short little check-in story for Percy or for Leo and Calypso. But this is the one where like at the end of the previous time that we saw Piper and Jason, I was like, oh, that story is not finished. We're unsettled. There's more mm. for us to discover about these people. I made a these note about that. <laughs> are very early in their journeys and they have more to do than just like sit back or like learn to be chill or like enjoy life as like settled adolescents or something. Yeah. Jason has his whole building the temples thing. Piper has her whole literally coming up with a personality thing. Oh my yeah. God. You said it. Exactly. And this book gives us such a perfect marriage of these characters. But with the correct distance and with the correct perspective on them, because Apollo as a narrator, as alluded to earlier, like really learns how to get out of the way here and give us... Yes, get out of the way! There is not a single Britney Spears reference in this entire novel. <laughs> growth. That's, that's growth, Apollo. Growth. Yeah, we will accept positive Britney Spears references, but obviously he doesn't do those, so... <laughs> I agree with all of the above. I think I'm going to just say this one random note before we dive into our more um, specific conversation points. I think it was Robert in our most recent episode on Ship of the Dead. Robert was like, Rick is really in his like poo-poo pee-pee era. Like there are so many jokes in Magnus Chase and Drives of Apollo that are like pee jokes or like bathroom jokes. 
And it's so true. Like we open up on like Apollo talking about like peeing his pants and like there are endless bathroom jokes, some of which actually did make me laugh out loud. But most of them, I was like, what is going on? Why is this (laughs) what we settled on? Anyway, I had to get that out of the way. Shall we begin by talking about all things nature subplot in this book? So I tales, Meg's growing Demeter powers, the magic seeds, and also Grover being back. Grover. Yeah, Grover. Literally, Grover's first introductory moment in this book is him leading us through. And as you might remember, Grover, like all satyrs, can talk to animals. And we get this delightful opening quip from him <laughs> where he is talking to the Strixes, the like monster, owl, bird, humanoid things that are chasing them. Yeah. And, um, he's like communicating with them about what's going on. And at some points in the conversation, he's just like, oh, yeah, that. That actually was not communication. That time they were just screeching. You know, sometimes <laughs> monster birds also they were just, just need same to scream. They need to like ki or something. You know, they just gotta let one loose. Screech, screech. <laughs> That's so true. <laughs> I love seeing Grover here, but I also get the energy that Grover is being recycled a little too much. Like, like how you were saying that Piper and Jason are not resolved. I think we really truly did resolve Grover like twenty thousand mm. books ago, and it's cute <laughs> that he keeps showing up and making cameos. And he does get further resolved at the end of this book. Like, he is fully self-actualized at the end of this novel. (laughs) Reach Nirvana by the end. Yeah. He's really just around for nostalgia and to make, like, several callbacks to the original series, which is fine. It's nice to have him, but he feels exhausted. He helps to establish the natural setting that we were talking about in, like, useful ways because Coach Hedge is not really effective for that yeah he's not a nature satyr he's a karate satyr he's a protector he he doesn't have the calming energy that we need and the like dispositional relationship to the natural world that will allow us to engage in the correct way in this book which really has a lot of very beautiful language i agree this is the first time in a while where i really felt like oh we're like in a place and i feel a different way about this place and i feel like i would have if i just pulled open google maps and like dropped photos in places you know what i mean your heart was not touched by indianapolis (laughs) wow yeah no i don't feel like i have new spiritual insights about what the indianapolis zoo is like but um, oh come on but you do about pasadena (laughs) i I feel like this take on the california desert is one that yeah the desert yeah is actually very riveting and the natural descriptions especially like of the dryads where we get to know all of the types of plants that live out in the deserts of California. Yeah, it's kind of reminiscent on Battle of the Labyrinth when they meet Pan. Yeah. A lot of the Trials of Apollo books are representations of the original series and the Heroes of Olympus series to resolve characters' arcs that we haven't been able to get. And Apollo is that bridge because He's connecting the the gods' wrongs yeah. and helping right them for the children that were wronged, essentially. Mm-hmm. That makes so much sense. <laughs> wow. Thank you for framing that for me before I go into these next two books. That's so helpful. Yeah. Second book for sure was Leo and Calypso. And here mm-hmm. it's Piper and Jason. And then later we'll see other people not gonna bring it up but yeah carry on now with this nature subplot yeah i just think that we all specifically especially with you caitlin i feel like we've complained many times about the lack of nature and climate change conversation involved in the heroes of olympus series because of gaia yada yada you've heard it and this is it like this is what we wanted 
the reason why Southern California is being so ravaged by wildfires and everything is dying is because of Titan fire that is coming from Helios. Or I think Grover is like, climate change isn't helping, but you know what else isn't helping? Helios. And who is enacting Helios's rage onto the desert? Caligula. And what does Caligula represent? The capitalism of triumvirate holdings. So I just (laughs) felt like there was this useful, not super in your face, but like you can kind of go A to C with it, metaphor for kids on how capitalism is destroying the natural environment. It reminded me of Town and the way that Anais Mitchell connects the metaphor for like greed and capitalism with the destruction of the natural world. Yeah. Also, there's a lot of respect put on Demeter's name in this book. Like truly. Yeah. It made up for it like from before, like how I remember we used to like shit on Demeter kids like a lot because we were just like, oh my gosh, plants. And like, the because the only representation we had was like Grover. Katie Gardner. Yeah. Like, yeah. You guys remember the nature girl from Sky High? Was her name Layla? Oh, the like redhead one. Yeah. Yeah. And they were all like, nature powers aren't cool. And then she bursts the vines through the glass. Yeah, she fucks up all the cheerleaders who multiply. Oh my God. <laughs> I think that that taught me from an early age to respect plant powers. I always wanted to play as the like the kid who had the plant powers when we were playing <laughs> superpowers. Also, if you like Sky High a lot as a child, you are gay now. <laughs> I don't make the rules. I thought that was Percy Jackson. <laughs> yeah, I thought that was Percy Jackson too. <laughs> I've never heard of Percy Jackson. <laughs> I think it's really fun that we get the first ever male dryad and it's a Joshua tree. Oh, oh my God, no, Joshua tree. Meg flirting with Joshua tree. Apollo's like, yeah, Meg, you need to stop hitting no. on Joshua tree in front of everybody. I'm embarrassed for you. And then Apollo goes in and himself, of course, tries to hit on the Joshua tree. Yeah. No, I, okay. Reading, I was like, you know what? I see it. I know why. <laughs> I know why they're both trying to hit on Don't it. you see the vision? Like, you know what? Yeah. We know what this person looks like. Oh, and he also, the thing is that he really is properly capturing as a dryad personality, the essence of the trendiness of Joshua Tree, the national park. Yeah, absolutely. Nailed it. It's where famous rock stars go to trip acid and write their albums now. Oh, as well as oh, wow. trendy LA people go there to like get Airbnbs for the weekend. Slay. Interesting. <laughs> Let's discuss now Apollo and and a wee bit of Meg and Apollo's growth because we all agree that this is the book where Apollo is like actually maturing and you can feel it in the narration in that there are so many fewer asides that's partially thanks to the pacing uh-huh. but also he is much more introspective like there are several moments of like two to three pages where he is just thinking to himself about what they're facing or what has just happened or processing he's thinking a lot about Meg and considering her a lot in what he says out loud and the actions that he takes. Like, he he feels more like a human in this book as opposed to a god. Yeah. Yeah. So the quote that we've highlighted is, the longer I was mortal, the more affected I was by even the smallest loss. And I remember even just earlier on in maybe even the, just this book, um, but definitely in the other books, Apollo would talk about, oh, the longer I'm human, the more I feel feel like weaker because like, I'm never gonna achieve my godly status again and I was always looked at in a more negative way whereas here in the burning maze it's like the longer I'm mortal I'm seeing the value in parts of being immortal like such as you know like understanding loss and understanding grief and understanding you know all of these like human things that we take for granted yeah absolutely there's one line I really enjoyed this is on page 88 Apollo is 
feeling his fears about Caligula, and he's thinking to himself that Caligula is the scariest, worst of all of all three of the emperors, and he's about to say that. And then he pauses, and he thinks to himself about what Nero did to Meg and what Meg experienced with Nero. The line is, how could I quantify such villainy? And that, to me, was the very first line where I was like, oh, my God, he's growing. Like, he understands what human pain is, and he, through his empathizing and his building of a relationship with this very complicated, very mortal character that is Meg, he is understanding empathy and <laughs> coming to understand how to act like a human being again. Yeah. Yeah. Meg is a super interesting relationship, not, not just because, like, he... Not just because she's young and dresses like a small child, so we're like already built in, have this um, empathy towards her, but also he's starting to develop more of an understanding of her emotional state and more of an actual set of tools and techniques for how to help her with his understanding. Of yeah, so there are more yeah. and more moments in this book where he will think to himself like, oh, this is a difficult topic. Meg is not someone who is a strong emotional communicator. So maybe I will like just tell this story for her because yes, she's not going to want telling to. the stories for her or he'll like stop a conversation and be like oh we're talking about this bad thing that happened in the place where you grew up do you want to take a minute yeah. or something or like not yeah. asking about things in front of other people that all feel like growth but not just growth in a generic sense of there is i think a generalized understanding of humanity and mortality that happens here but it's also very moving that he does have a very specific understanding of meg and what she needs and what specific emotional triggers she has and what things are useful for her in getting through those that is really interesting to read it's like honestly i was not i wasn't expecting this to happen but a lot of these things are like lessons and techniques in general in life for like looking at someone who yeah. has difficulty communicating their emotions or like has traumas that they're working through and figuring out ways to be like useful and nice and empathetic in relationships with those people yeah yeah she's very representative of innocence like a child and that purity and also like all of these other things that you would want to kind of protect and that you value in humanity and the juxtaposition of you know apollo who it was very much the opposite of that because as a god he just doesn't value or doesn't really understand it it's so nice seeing him grow to understand better through his relationship and you see that change over the books especially in this one so it's very special no there's also that moment where like apollo kind of like psychoanalyzes meg when meg is like i have to like kill caligula <laughs> yes yeah. thinking like very violent thoughts and he's like wait let's like step back like he's like i also think caligula sucks but like are you okay misdirecting <laughs> your anger yeah, and I was like, again, like, he's not shown, like, that sort of, like, emotional maturity ever before, because everything's always been, like, so, like, self-centered with him, and then finally he's like, why does she want to do this? I love this book so much, and I mentioned here that, like, he's my favorite point of view we've gotten since Percy, which is really interesting. That's a hot take. Those are fighting words. <laughs> Those are fighting words. Obviously, the only other person I would say would argue would be like Annabeth, but like Annabeth and Percy are very interchangeable for me. True. <laughs> but like Apollo, he reminds me of Percy in specific ways. So like there's the self-deprecating, the jokes that we get, I think, which are kind of really funny. And like the humor that we get from Percy is very similar to the sarcastic dry humor that Apollo has when he's not making 
stupid jokes and misogynistic jokes and you know all that because Percy would never my man would never <laughs> but um it, it's reminiscent on um lost olympian percy vibes so it's reverse so while, while, while percy is trying to understand the gods and why the gods do the wrongs mm. it's apollo understanding the humans and the wrongs that humans do um, and how they affect the gods yeah wow the one other relationship i wanted to highlight that apollo has in this book and throughout the series is his relationships to his oracles yes we won't meet um Herophile, the sibyl until the second half of this book but i think that his relationship to all of his oracles is really interesting because they're kind of like i don't want to say like ex-girlfriends but i want to say like old friends like people who are in your life who are sort of like partners to you not in like an actively romantic way or anything like that but people who you know who you're close with who you don't keep in touch with every single day but when you run into them you're like hey bestie like we have a history and in reference to herophile the first time he says ever i began to wonder if maybe just maybe Zeus had been right to send me to Earth to correct the wrongs I had allowed to happen. Speaking specifically about how he basically just allowed Herophile to remain immortal despite nobody wanting her prophecies anymore and like roam the Earth pointless. And he's taking ownership of that as well. Something that he never really yeah. used mm-hmm. to do. Good on him. A plus. Good on him. <laughs> yeah, because he becomes like so much less self-centered. He just like starts understanding people more. <laughs> Yeah, and it's genius writing because as he's starting to understand people more, he's starting to remember he was born a god, obviously, but he has grown in godly power throughout his life. And so we learn a lot in this book about the process of him becoming the sun god and taking over the job from Helios. And he thinks a lot about what that journey was like for him and how Helios kind of disappeared and eventually people just started praying to Apollo as the sun god and so he just had to take on the job because we know this relationship between gods and humans and the riot inverse functions in that way mm-hmm. all right should we quickly cover caligula i don't really even know that there's anything to say about him <laughs> we haven't met caligula yet so it's hard for us to say that much he's very scary his name means little boots that becomes important <laughs> There's a very scary dream sequence in which Apollo remembers the time that he went to one of Caligula's parties and then like, quote unquote, didn't return to Earth for like a hundred years because he was so freaked out. (laughs) Apollo realizes that his plan is to supplant him as the new sun god, etc. Yeah, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we will be discussing Piper and Jason. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, we are back. Well, I think Ethan wanted to drop in something about Caligula. Oh, yes. Okay. I think it's in this half of the book. I hope it is. But when like Apollo was talking about like seeing Caligula for the first time and how Caligula is like dressed up as him and like his first thought isn't fear. It's like, whoa, he's like really cool. He kind of pulls it off. (laughs) 
<laughs> Apollo is like attracted to Caligula. Yeah, no, for sure. But then it's like, I'm a little afraid I would, but I probably shouldn't. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I thought that was just really interesting that at first, like, he admired Caligula. It might be like a stretch to say that Caligula is a foil for Apollo because Caligula is like also very self centered and like very self serving and like everyone around him serves a purpose only to him. Apollo used to be that way and like even in the earlier books we see that he like thinks of other people as how do they serve him but yeah I just thought it was really interesting that like Apollo's first thoughts like when he like first sees Caligula like thousands of years ago he's like impressed by him and he has like no reason to fear until later on when that selfishness becomes way more sinister. I love all of these observations so much! You are all teaching me so much about this book. <laughs> all right. Quickly to touch upon the return of Medea as well. I appreciate that she is back in full force villain form and not just as a department store owner who happens to make potions. <laughs> I really appreciate that she is used as a tool to demonstrate just how powerful Piper is now as opposed to the last time that they faced off in The Lost Hero. Yeah. It's yeah. really great to see her have all these new ways of physically fighting and also just be so much more in command of her charm speak. She even pulls a very Annabeth move on page 162. Piper is like, are you too scared of facing me yourself, woman to woman? And Medea says, why do heroes always do that? Why do they try to taunt me into doing something stupid? And Piper says, because it usually works. I loved Piper so much for that. The, the Piper Beth. Yeah. The Piper Big Beth. Piper Beth oh, energy. In oh some other quotes we want to read today. Yeah. I like, I mean, I support women's wrongs. I would support <laughs> this particular woman's wrongs more if they weren't sort of like in service to Caligula, you know? Period. Mm. We don't yeah. really get any backstory as to why the two of them are connected because of course, historically and or in the mythological regular, like Medea is a princess of Colchis, which is like east of Greece, whereas Rome would have way postdated that and been to the West. So it's not like they would have interacted in either of their lifetimes, if we were to understand them, like whatever that would even look like, because Caligula was like a person and Medea is like a mythological figure. But I feel very unsettled with this. I'm like excited to see her, but I also was like, I thought we were going to like learn more about her. Right. We instead learn more about Piper. Yeah, yeah. exactly. If she's going to be here as an instrument, she might as well be an instrument for Piper. Exactly. I, I guess okay with that. Yeah. yeah. Let's talk about the reason I'm actually here right now. Piper and Jason, up to <laughs> and through Jason. chapter 23. Oh my God. I am in physical pain. Mm-hmm. Me too. I'm really going to do my best not to just read for the read next everything. 20 minutes. <laughs> also, I'm in a hallway, so like the audio quality won't be the best, but there's a lot to say. Let us begin with the moment. Apollo picks up on the fact that Piper and Jason are no longer an item, which is very early on page 122. Anyway, Piper continued, I thought we could find the heart of this maze. I figured whoever was responsible for making our lives miserable would be there, and we could send him or her back to the underworld. When you say we, Grover asked, you mean you and Jason? Yes. Her voice dipped when she spoke his name, the same way mine did when I was forced to speak the names Hyacinthus or Daphne. Something happened between you two, I deduced. She picked up an invisible speck from her jeans. It's been a tough year. You're telling me, I thought. Meg activated one of the barbecue burners. You guys break up or what? Leave it to McCaffrey to be tactless about love with a child of Aphrodite while simultaneously starting a fire in front of a satyr. Please don't play with that, Piper asked gently. And yes, we broke up. 
Grover bleated. <laughs> really? But I heard, I thought, you thought what? Piper's voice remained calm and even. That we'd be together forever like Percy and Annabeth? She stared into the empty house, not exactly as if she missed the old furniture, but as if she were imagining the space completely redone. Things change. People change. Jason and me, we started out oddly. Hera kind of messed with our heads, made us think we shared a past we didn't share. Ah, I said, that sounds like Hera. We fought the war against Gaia, then we spent months searching for Leo. Then we tried to settle into school, and the moment I actually had some time to breathe, she hesitated, searching each of our faces as if realizing she was about to share the real reasons, the deeper reasons, with people she barely knew. I remembered how Melly had called Piper poor girl, and the way the cloud nymph had said Jason's name with distaste. Anyway, Piper said, things change. Oh my god, no. I have <laughs> so many so thoughts. <laughs> many thoughts. So of course, I'm the resident Jason, like number one Jason fan. So I yes. have so many thoughts. The only one in the world, actually. Number one yeah. out of one. <laughs> you know what? Okay. If there's only one Jason fan, it's me. It's like, if Jason Grace has one million fans, I'm one of them. If Jason Grace has, you know that copypasta? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's literally me. But yeah, if Jason Grace has no fans, I'm dead. Anyways. <laughs> Anyways, regardless. <laughs> okay, wait. I don't actually know. Like, how much can we spoil? I want to talk about, like, Piper and, like, Comphet. We've talked about that i think that our listeners are well aware that specific thing is okay okay. then i like read that part completely through the lens of like compulsive heterosexuality and like just reading that and like piper saying like oh she was forced by the goddess of marriage and the goddess of love to be with this perfect Mm -hmm. guy like that really Mm -hmm. is like textbook compet and seeing that like reading that in again this is like a middle school middle grade book series like aimed at I just said middle school like a million times, but yeah. <laughs> so I'm like that representation of like just like compet rep in these books, so good, so good. Oh, too many thoughts and not enough like ways <laughs> to articulate them. No, it's true because obviously we happen to know that Piper does end up with a female partner, right? <laughs> in the Tower of Nero, we know that that happened. This has probably already been spoiled for you. But at this point, you know, like when the book was coming out, we did not know that. And so there were these question marks about like, well, what is Piper not sharing? Like, what is the real reason? Later on, these quotes about the Sybil telling Jason certain things and Piper being like, what did she tell you? And Medea saying the truth was enough to break Jason Grace. Oh, Oh my my God. God. I don't know if it's said outright in later books what that truth was, but obviously we're all thinking, right? Like, and Rick must have known what we would be thinking, right? That the Sybil like <laughs> outed Piper to Jason or something oh, because we all God. God's love outing Jason's friends to him. Oh my God. <laughs> Dude, imagine, okay. Imagine that the Sybil really did like out Piper to him and Jason's just there. Like, are you kidding? Like, why is this the second time that's happened to me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm rolling with the LGBT. That means like, oh, if I had a penny for every time a God added one of my friends to me, I would have two pennies. Which isn't a lot, but it's weird that it happened twice. <laughs> literally, that would literally be him. He'd be like, can I please stop learning about my friends this way? Um... But anyway, oh. I'm pretty sure that's what happened, right? Right? I did not pick up on that. Oh, I feel like that's really? what Piper's worried about. Yeah, I also didn't, actually. I, I think that that's what Piper's worried about. I don't feel like the Sybil actually yeah. 
said that though i mean like we we get later on the sybil says jason's gonna die and like i don't know it doesn't seem like her prophecies are very um nuanced or complicated it feels like probably it was like a one and done somebody's gonna die that's like enough to shock him to his core right like i don't know he doesn't need to i don't think he needed more than that but also i guess we would never know one way or the other and also piper's (laughs) paranoia is definitely in the text right that's true that's true Oh my yeah. god, it is insane. Also, dare we say wildly validating after having oh, yeah. for five entire freaking books, or I guess four if you're not counting Son of Neptune, literally the entire <laughs> series of the Heroes of Olympus, every time there was a Piper Jason scene alone on the deck of the Argo 2, us being like, not this shit again! Yeah, like, literally. Please. There was no chemistry ever. Maybe oh, so uncomfy. God. Maybe that's just my vulgar stand self coming out though <laughs> you didn't need to say that and yet you did you no said. everyone thought it we were all on the same page without any any other superstructures around it but um something that stands out to me about this specifically is the choice of the narration and the perspective with which we are getting this because there's something i feel very beautiful and appropriate about the fact that we have been sort of in Piper's head for a lot of the times we've seen her in the past and it feels so good to step out of it and to not watch her like working through this but to catch her like where she's like 80% of the way through and it's like I've learned some things about myself and I'm not going to say exactly what they are but let me tell you I believe things that were not true I I just feel like that that light distance and that ability to foreground a specific part of her journey where it's like we're not watching her struggle because I feel like that is a fairly well-documented thing. It's w- watching her get most of the way out and saying, like, let me tell you what I've learned. You've seen, like, what it was like when I was in the depths of my confusion. And now I'm just going to explain to you why that was. And you're going to take my word for yes. it. I think it's such a fascinating presentation of it and very appropriate. Oh God, I-, I felt very moved by it. Where we're like, she's, like, growing past us almost. Like, yes. because... We're moving out of her head and now seeing her, like, give us wisdom In the same way that when we're no longer in Percy's perspective, Annabeth and Percy also have, like, grown past us. And it's time to let them go now that they are (laughs) (laughs) self-actualizing. I don't want to. I don't want to either. I know, Caitlin. I know. (laughs) It sucks. Um, There's a line on page 207 when Jason admits that he didn't tell Piper everything that the Sybil told him. And Apollo observes, Piper's silence felt more powerful and her charm speaking. I screamed. That's a great line. One of the best lines ever about Piper, frankly. I think that's so powerful because you just see, you can see that mean lesbian stare in her eyes. She is like, Jason, what are you hiding from me? Yeah, it's because like, obviously her words carry so much weight, not just in like a literal sense, but she's always been a mediator in the seven. So like when she's choosing not to use her voice, it speaks absolute volumes. Go Piper. Yeah. Hard agree. Love that for you. Hard agree. Oh my God. I really cannot overemphasize how much I would love to read every single chapter of their interactions, but I won't do that. I just think we're getting some distance on her character. We're seeing her like 80% of the way to her self-confidence. I'm assuming that like her power with charm speaking is only getting even more powerful the more sure she is of herself and the more that she's understanding herself. Mm -hmm. Um, Especially because it's an Aphrodite power. And like, I just, I don't know. I think that her understanding how she loves is going to make her power as an Aphrodite child so much stronger. Oh, that's so good. Yeah. Yeah. Like loving yourself and understanding yourself like 
uh, even just like on a yeah. mortal level, like the more you understand yourself and you like self love, the more confident you become. So it would make sense, you know, if that reflects in her powers as well. How when we've always understood that in the Riordan verse, your emotions deeply interact with how you use your powers, and whenever anyone has struggled with their magic or their power, um, it's because they're not in tune either with their parent or with their emotions Mm -hmm. and it's directly affected all of that so yeah yeah really the last component i wanted to mention about piper and jason up to and through chapter 23 is the way that they relate to each other because we're talking about this like pov we have as the reader as apollo and meg on piper but the way that rick writes their relationship i think for the first time makes so much sense as these partners these exes apollo keeps noting how easy and comfortable they are with each other yes and the sense that they communicate and let me just say oh god the way that piper probably for the very first time actually feels comfortable around jason please no i'm gonna cry like collapsing right now please because they're actually friends because they never got a chance to you know know each other before dating yeah i love so so much that they finally got to be like friends because i Mm -hmm. i may not ship actually okay i do love that jason and piper were in a relationship but i love even more that they broke up and then period 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 this is part of their growth Exactly. Like, I can only ever see Jason and Piper together romantically if they break up. They're not endgame. In mm-hmm. no world are they ever endgame. They needed each other at that moment, but they needed to break up because their arcs are very separate from each other. I, I have this personal thing where it's like, soulmates are a very, like, multiple thing. Like, you can have, like, more than one. Mm. You change so mm-hmm. much throughout your life, you're always going to need a specific soulmate for that moment in your life. And I guess for Piper and Jason, like they were each other's for that time because that's what they needed. Um, And then now it's different (laughs) because of circumstances. Oh my God, building on that. I just feel like seeing them like sitting in the front seat of the car together, like silently communicating, like Piper being like, why would you try to go in there without me? And Jason being like, because I know you would try to go in there without me. And Piper being like, okay. And you know, them both just like, all of these conversations (laughs) together, their partnership, the way they work together, the way they go into battle together. Piper sitting as far away from him as she can in the room, but still like hyping him up, talking about his plans for New Rome. All of this that leads to this dynamic between them in this book is for the first time me seeing them and their love. Like this is... This is love between the two of them. This is their version of love. This is their relationship. I think that this is as close to a platonic soulmate friendship and connection they've ever had. Like they've never, in my mind, they've never been closer than they are in this book. And that is obviously what makes the next part of this book so painful. No, please. Yeah. Yeah. Because Piper is just one step closer to being her real self and Jason too. I mean, he's on his own journey as well. Yeah. Yeah. But the fact that they are able to be more themselves around each other is just... Yeah. Oh, oh God. It's cathartic. Okay. It is. This is like you saying like more themselves that like reminded me of that scene in Love, Simon, where like Simon comes out and then his mom is like, like he's like, I'm, I'm me. I've always been me. And then she goes like, you are more yourself now than you have ever been. Oh, yeah. I'm just in pain. I'm in so much pain. It's a lot. There's this fascinating juxtaposition with the two of them where like, 
for the whole time they were in a relationship, were developing these experiences together, but because they were fundamentally misunderstanding how they identified with each other, those they were like still premising things incorrectly and not able to use their multitude of like, you know, difficult experiences that they shared together as the basis for a real mutual understanding. And it's nice to see that like resolves an interesting tension of like, how is it possible that they at the end of um, the Heroes of Olympus have actually gone through all of these things together. Like they've been basically inseparable for a year and having a lot of, you know, formative life or death experiences. And yet they still do not seem to be able to talk to each other in a way that is honest. <laughs> yeah. um, and this is like a good case study where like, I feel like I know these people and like specifically the thing of where like two people are exes because they've realized that actually like... <laughs> Once they are like, oh, actually, this is not how we're meant to interact with each other. That's not it. But we do actually, because of this experience, know all these things about each other. And when you can focus on the actual things, like the meaningful interactions, as opposed to, you know, bizarre frames that you might have had and that other people might have had, it just clarifies so much. And it's very, like... The, the yeah. way that it's narrated also gives us this perspective into like Grover and Apollo also being like, we're confused. I thought you two were going to be together forever. And then you get to watch them, watch the two of them and over time be like, okay, oh no, this actually makes sense. Yeah. That experience, that like dual track of both watching Piper grow and watching other people watch this and be like, oh, I see. I am viewing this and I am yeah. also learning things. Reader we're all on this journey of understanding what's going on here. <laughs> We've never known Jason and Piper as well as we have in this moment. Yeah. Because even though it's Apollo's book, they've been given the floor. Yeah. Like it is Absolutely. their time to kind of shine, develop and have that arc Correct. that they never really got to have. Yeah. I think also like, I'm trying to remember, but this might be the only, is it the only like main breakup like within any of like the seven or like main characters? Because I think there's some, like, breakups, like, if we count, like, Percy and Calypso. Percy and, and like, Rachel and Percy, Percy and Calypso, Rachel. Percy and Rachel, yeah. But, like, this is, like, the only, like, breakup breakup that we see, like, fully on screen. Annabeth and Connor stole. Oh, <laughs> are you a, you're a Connabeth stay? Oh, I see you. I see you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait, wait, wait. I'll do you one better. Annabeth and Luke. <laughs> no. Talia and Luke. <laughs> Uh, that is not one better that is like 20 worse caitlin that's way worse <laughs> oh i'm kidding <laughs> ow um <laughs> i think this is a good point none are occurring to me right now a breakup I think it is, yeah. I mean, if listeners are listening to this and they are thinking of another breakup please let us know but yeah this is a milestone yeah. this is growing yeah yeah this is growth and that's important. People need to learn how to break up. Yeah, so true. The children must be educated. I would love to close out this conversation on this is a part of your growth. Like, don't be scared of this. You know, mm -hmm. like Piper made it out alive. Don't feel bad. Don't feel like you wasted your time. Don't feel like any of that. Don't be scared of all of these weird steps in your journey and figuring things out because they all contribute to who you are as a person. And it doesn't make you any less. It doesn't make you slower to realize. It doesn't make you not whole or anything like that i just it's beautiful to watch piper go through this and i hope that young kids will look back on reading this and be like yes. whoa that happened to piper that's crazy <laughs> yeah. this is your sign this is your sign to break up with that person caitlin you said it not me this is your sign cb brain listener <laughs> oh, no.
no. This is this is your sign that it's a red flag. No. There are no better pictures of him. <laughs> um, and also, if you are a person, like a queer closeted person, this is your sign saying that like it's okay basically to take your time. And if you are in a quote unquote straight relationship as a queer person and you feel like you have to be in that relationship for reasons this is your sign that you don't have to absolutely i also want to add that the other person doesn't even need to be like a bad person yes. for you to want to break up with them because like if we look at like piper and jason yeah. neither of them did anything wrong they just thought about it real hard and were like okay you know what we actually like we don't work together anymore it just wasn't so right exactly do not ever feel like a bad person just because like the other person isn't bad either I'm going to drop a specific reference that I wasn't going to do. I was thinking about it this whole time, but that like last remark really, <laughs> if anyone is having a lot of feelings about this conversation, <laughs> I think you should check out specifically um, season one, episode eight. There's only one season so far of Abbott Elementary, an episode of television that I've watched maybe five times since it came out in like April. Um, oh my. Beautiful writing. Appointment TV is back, everybody. Yeah. Abbott Elementary, I believe is returning in September. Um, All right, that's a good plug. September 21st. Mm. Season one, episode eight. Okay, as we close off this half of the book, let's remember that Jason takes Apollo by the shoulders, grips him in his hands and says, if I'm the one who dies, promise me you will remember what it feels like to be human. And on that note, we are going to say bye for this week. And all four of us will see all of you back at it for the second half of this book. We will link everything in our show notes at where you can find our lovely guests. Caitlin is at Prince Beth Feels Fandom and at Caitlin Reads A Lot, I think on pretty much everything. Ethan is at Ethan with two N's Koo on TikTok and Instagram, question mark, and Twitter. And everywhere. And so everywhere. You can find me on Tumblr. On Be Real. You can find me, you literally could on Be Real, actually. Which is <laughs> probably not safe. <laughs> Any of you guys have letterboxed? I'm on there. That's a, you should promote your letterboxed. <laughs> promote your letterboxed. So true. Period. <laughs> well, all that being said, we are so excited to talk about the rest of this book. We'll see you there. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.